Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. Hey, so good to be with you today. Uh, I was uh, reflecting on uh, the conversation I had with Ross as this, um, that little video was playing. The impetus for this whole series uh, came about from the fact that there's a certain person in our family who's turning 12 this year, and his, uh, his, he will remain anonymous, but his initials are Luke Manders. And uh, the thought that, you know, uh, in a lot of cultures, when somebody turns 12, that's kind of when they become a man or a woman. Um, and yet in our culture, that's kind of undefined. So Ross got to thinking about what are, you know, some of the kinds of lessons that, um, you know, we should be imparting to a young man like Luke and that all of us should be imparting to our children and our, our grandchildren. And for some of us who never learned those lessons when we were kids, it's not too late to learn them now, right? And so uh, Ross was kind of sharing some of the ideas he had for topics he'd like to see covered in the series. And I said, if, if I come in and do this, the topic I'd like to address is the importance of knowing the truth. Know the truth so you don't fall for lies. Because in your lifetime, you're going to be told a lot of lies. And unless you're equipped with the truth of God's word to recognize those lies and to talk back to the evil one with the truth of God, uh, you're going to fall prey to a lot of lies. And so um, that's where I want to go in our time today. We're going to be looking at just one verse of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And before we dive into that all this morning, let's just take a moment and ask God to bless this time. Father, we are so grateful that we can gather today like this as brothers and sisters in Christ and to look into your word and to, uh, to be fed, to, to have truth spoken to us through your word that equips us for life. And so we ask, Lord, that you would use this time to uh, better prepare us for life so that we might be better prepared to help those who are coming up behind us, our children, our grandchildren. And, Lord, we just uh, ask that you would do your work in our hearts by your spirit, as only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was a young pastor and his wife who were struggling to make ends meet on their meager salary, and the pastor was looking at the credit card statement that had come that day, and he was just amazed that his wife had spent $250 on a dress. And so he confronted her. He said, you know how tight things are. How could you spend that much money on a dress? And she said, oh, I know, I know, but I was walking down the street past that that store, and I saw that dress in the window, and I, I thought, oh my goodness, that's a beautiful dress. And the next thing I knew, I was in there trying it on. It was like Satan was whispering in my ear, try it on, and you would look fabulous in that dress. And the pastor said, well, you know what I do when, when Satan whispers in my ear? I say, get behind me, Satan. She said, oh, I did, I did. I said, get behind me, Satan. And he said, it looks fabulous back here, too. <laughs> 
you know, uh, it's easy to hide behind the old devil made me do it excuse. Uh, some of us are old enough to remember Flip Wilson, the comedian, yeah, and how he made a, you know, a living off of that tagline. The devil made me do it, right? The Geraldine character. And, and we kind of make light of that, but we'd better be wise to the fact that there really is an adversary of our souls whose temptations are a force to be reckoned with. And the Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. He just loves to take Christians down. And if I don't miss my guess, he's got his claws deep in somebody's hide here right now. Some of us are in danger of being taken down, of losing any credibility as Christ followers, losing our ability to effectively serve Christ, being dragged into ways of thinking and speaking and acting that dishonor him. When it first started, you know, we never thought it would take us this far. But now we might be in danger of forsaking Jesus altogether. It started with visiting just a website or two. Or it started with a certain look that led to a kiss that has led to other things that are hard to stop. Maybe it started with just one drink or one tantrum, a single slap. It might have started with, you know, taking just a little one little shopping binge. Started with one little inappropriate conversation, one hit, one drag, one hand of cards, one roll of the die, one helping too many, one fantasy, one flirtatious encounter. Some of us have only started down that road, not even realizing where it's going to take us. We, we still think that we can quit whenever we want. We're still insisting that we're in control. Uh, still insisting we're smart enough not to get stung still thinking that what has happened to others won't happen to us, but knowing deep inside we shouldn't be doing it. Others of us could barely drag ourselves here today because maybe we feel like such hypocrites. We wonder what other people would think if they only knew what our eyes had looked at this week, what thoughts we had entertained, what words had come out of our mouths, where we were last night. You know, no one wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, today I'm going to quit following Jesus. I'm just going to give up the faith. I'm going to dishonor the Lord, and I'm going to stop trying to live as a Christian. That's not where Satan chooses to fight his battles. And that's not how he succeeds in bringing us down. He knows if he comes to us and says, hey, Christian, give it up, walk away, forsake Jesus, we'd say, what, are you nuts? After all that Jesus has done to me, I would never do that. And so what he does instead is he comes after us in the little things, you know, chipping away a little here, wearing us down, telling us his lies, you know, persuading us to compromise a little here, a little there, until before you know it, things have gone a lot farther in the wrong direction than we ever intended. The key is to fight the battle day by day, moment by moment, choice by choice at the point of temptation. The key to living out your commitment to Christ is in learning to make the right choices moment by moment, one at a time. And and if you learn how to turn back temptation in the little things, your commitment to Christ over the long haul will endure. And the truth of God's word we need to take encouragement from today is that we can have victory over temptation, but you've got to know the truth so you won't fall for lies. You've got to know the truth so you won't fall for lies. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful 
and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians to uh, Christians in a culture that presented them with all kinds of temptations, uh, sexual immorality, idolatry, just about every kind of temptation that we have in our culture, they experienced in that Corinthian culture. And he's telling them to pay attention to what happened to the people of Israel, lest they give in to such temptations. Because Israel had a problem in the Old Testament with idolatry and immorality, testing the Lord and grumbling, all the same kinds of things that the people in Corinth might be tempted to do. And, and Paul says in the verse just before this, don't let that happen to you. On the, on the one hand, don't think that you're so much better than Israel because that's when you're most likely to fall. On the other hand, he comes to verse 13 and says, don't think that history has to repeat itself. You can overcome the temptations you face. And here's the truth that will help you to have victory in the face of whatever tempts you. I think every believer should commit this verse to memory because it equips us with God's truth to answer some of Satan's most potent lies at the point of temptation. The wise lies he loves to whisper in our ears when we're tempted with the things that most often tempt us. Satan is a liar. Jesus said. He's the father of lies. His lies are like the claws of the lion sinking deep into the flesh of his victims. And it's when we believe Satan's lies at the point of temptation that we're most likely to be brought down. And it's only when we're equipped with the truth that we're able to recognize Satan's lies and counter them with God's truth so that we'll stand strong against temptation. So let's look at three lies that Satan most often tells us and how God answers them from this verse. For instance, one of the lies that Satan loves to tell us when we're being tempted is, you're all alone. You're all alone. Anybody ever hear that one? You're all alone. This this is one of his favorite lies that sets us up for failure. You're all alone. Nobody can possibly understand or help. You can't tell anyone what's tempting you. What will they think of you? You'd better just keep it to yourself. You better deal with it on your own. Think of how embarrassed or ashamed you would be if anyone found this out about you. You know, I've been in pastoral ministry for over 40 years, and it kind of cracks me up when when somebody kind of sheepishly comes into my office, and I said, how can I help you? They said, well, pastor, I'm so embarrassed to tell you this. You probably never heard anybody struggling with this, but... And then they tell me, and I'm like laughing inside, like, are you kidding me? You think this is the first time somebody said that they were struggling this in this office? The the point is, if you're alone, if Satan can convince you that you're alone, then there's nobody you can turn to for help. You're pretty much a sitting duck where that temptation is concerned. If the evil one can convince you to keep it a secret, chances are much greater that you're going to fall to that temptation. You know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they have a saying, you're only as sick as your secrets. If you're going to get better, the secrets have got to come out. You've got to tell somebody you're struggling so they can help you. The lie is you're all alone. Here's the truth that enables us to withstand temptation when it comes to the temptations I struggle with. God says, no, it's just plain human. Whatever you're going through, you're not alone. Whatever you're being tempted with, it's just plain human to be tempted that way. Look at verse 13 where it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not 
common to man. That phrase common to man translates a, a, a Greek word that just means just plain human. You may look around in a group like this and imagine that no one else struggles with what you struggle with, but chances are there, there's somebody in the row behind you or the row in front of you or maybe sitting right next to you who struggles with the very same thing. I had a friend in college um, named Dave, and Dave was one of the few guys on campus, uh, I guess it was freshman or sophomore year, one of the few people in our age bracket anyway that had a car on campus. That made Dave a big man on campus, right? Because if you had a car, that was, that was just golden. Well, he not only had a car, I mean, this was like, what, 1975, 76? He had a 1968 Oldsmobile 225, a deuce and a quarter, we called him. And it was a V8. Now, it was a, you know older car, but Dave had gotten hold of it, and he was a gearhead, and he had worked on that car, and he had it humming, right? He was so proud of that car. It was all polished up pretty, and, and he had the engine tuned just right. And uh, there were four of us that needed to go somewhere one afternoon, and, and Dave volunteered to drive us. And so he, he kind of wanted to show off his car, and, and he was telling us how, how he had worked so hard in this thing and how fast it was and what great pickup it had. But we were only on these little suburban streets, and uh, he couldn't open it up on, on like an interstate or anything. So we were at a stop sign. He said, look, I, I know I can't go very fast for very long, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gun it when we leave this the stop sign, so you can you can feel uh, what kind of pickup this car has, and so so we stopped at the stop sign. And then he hit the gas, and the car lurched forward, and the momentum of the car moving forward caused a magazine to to fall out from behind uh, underneath the uh, driver's seat, and it fell in my feet. I was sitting in the back seat behind the driver. This magazine fell, and the the back cover was facing up, which had on a back in those days probably a cigarette ad or an alcohol ad or something. And I looked down and I jokingly, because this was a Christian college, you have to understand this. This was a Christian college where we lived according to something called the pledge. You know, where there were things that you agreed you weren't going to do as a, as a student at this college. And so this magazine falls at my feet and the back cover is up and I jokingly say, oh look, Dave's got a Playboy magazine here. Thinking that it was probably popular mechanics or something, knowing Dave. And then I picked it up and oh my goodness, Dave had a Playboy magazine here. <laughs> Now, all of this seems pretty quaint by today's standards with what kids have accessible to them on phones today, but that was a big deal. So the guy next to me grabs the magazine. He's kind of paging through it. I grab it back and stuff it under the seat, and we ride in this awkward silence all the way back to campus. That night, there's a knock on my door, and I open the door, and there's Dave. And he said, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. He said, uh, I've just been to see the other two guys. And I told them I'm really sorry, you know, for exposing them to that magazine. Uh, and I, I want to say the same to you. I'm, I'm just really sorry for what happened today. And then he went on to explain, you know, um, that he's, he struggles with, with lust, with pornography. And he knows he shouldn't buy that material. He, he was exposed to it when he was a little kid. A friend of his showed him his dad's Playboy magazines and he... He kind of got interested, and then every time he walked by a newsstand, it was a temptation, but sometimes he'd give in to the temptation, and, and he said, I'm just really, really sorry. I, I feel so ashamed. And I said, Dave, I, I want you to understand that I don't 
think any less of you that you struggle with that temptation. And he said, you don't? I said, no. I said, probably 95% of guys on this campus, if they were honest, would admit they struggle with that temptation too. And the other 5% are liars. This isn't unique to you. You need to understand that you're not the only one. And you don't have to deal with this on your own. And I prayed with him, and, and he went off that night. A week or so later, I saw him in the cafeteria, and he pulled me aside. He said, hey, Dave, you know, thanks for that talk the other night. And he said, what really meant so much to me is when you said, you don't think less of me for the struggle. And it's really good to know that I don't have to face it alone. You see, that's exactly where Satan wants to keep you. He wants to keep you in that idea that you're all alone. You can't share this with anybody. What will they think of you? The truth is you're not alone. You're not the first Christian to struggle, and you won't be the last. And part of the benefit of being you know, part of a, a brotherhood, a sisterhood of believers like this is that you know that you're going to find other people here who struggle with the same things you struggle with. This is a safe place to acknowledge that you struggle. And, and when you do, there are others here who are going to say, you know what, you're not alone, and we're here to help set you free. More churches need the kind of dynamic that, that is here at Restoration Church instead of being intimidating places where you don't feel like you fit because everyone else seems to have their act together. Church needs to be a place where you can say, you know what, I'm not okay. I'm struggling. I need help. And others will say, me too. Let's help each other. Or I've been through that same struggle, and here's what helped me overcome it. Let me walk with you. That's what James was talking about in his epistle when he said, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confession isn't just for Catholics, folks. It's God's way of setting us free from our sick secrets and connecting us to fellow strugglers who can help us overcome the temptations we face. The lie that sets us up for failure says, you're all alone. But the truth is, whatever you're struggling with, is just plain human. It's just plain human to be tempted as you are. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I want you to say that out loud with me. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Whenever you're tempted and you start hearing that voice saying, you're all alone, you can't tell anyone, Whenever that thinking starts in your head, recognize it for what it is. It's a lie from the pit of hell, and you've got to counter that lie with the truth that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to people. Tell someone you're struggling. Get help because, man, sometimes the stakes are really, really high. Back at Grace Point years ago, there was a young man who came to our Easter service and um, it was pretty clear that he had AIDS. Now, this was back in the late 80s, and AIDS was just a raging disease, uh, especially in the gay community. And nobody was quite sure how AIDS was transmitted. It hadn't all quite been sorted out yet. And so it made everybody a little nervous to have a guy with AIDS, you know, kind of sitting among you and wondering, can we catch it, or, or what's, what's the deal here? Well, Michael came to me that week after the Easter service, and he introduced himself. He said, I'm Michael, and, and uh, I've been in a gay lifestyle for 20 years. 
And I grew up in a Christian home. I've always known that I shouldn't be doing it. Um, And I've recently come back to Christ. And I want to be baptized. And I kind of took a deep breath and swallowed hard. And thought, am I going to get in the baptistry with this guy? We don't even know how AIDS is spread, right? But uh, long story short, we did baptize him. And and Michael was embraced by our congregation as a brother in Christ. And, and that was one of the finer moments, I think, in the life of that church, uh, especially in those days when, when we didn't know how, how AIDS was, was, uh, was spread. For people to literally embrace Michael as a brother in Christ and to love him as he began to grow then in his refound Christian faith, and uh, he became part of us and uh, got busy serving the Lord among us. And we could see the whole time that his, his condition was deteriorating because they didn't have the antiviral drugs yet that could really combat AIDS. And so we watched Michael diminishing uh, over a couple of year t- span of time. And then um, there was a time when Michael came to me and he said, you know, Pastor, I don't think I'm a, a true Christian. I said, what, what are you talking about? I said, you trust Jesus as your Savior, right? You confessed your sin. You've trusted Christ to save you from your sin. You know he died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead so you could have new life in him. He said, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I believe all that. I said, and, and you were baptized upon profession of your faith. You meant that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I meant it. So why don't you think you're a true Christian? He said, because a true Christian wouldn't think the things I think. I said, well, tell me, what are you thinking about? He said, no, I, I, I can't tell you. I'm, I'm just too ashamed. I can't, I, can't, I can't tell you. We had that conversation three or four times. Uh, Michael uh, came to our house for Thanksgiving that year. And after Thanksgiving dinner, he pulled me aside, and we had the same conversation all over. And, Pastor, I don't think I'm a true Christian. Why not? Because I think things that no true Christian would ever think about what are those things? I can't tell you. I'm just too ashamed. I couldn't get out of him no matter what I did, no matter how I tried to persuade him. He wouldn't share with me what it was that he was thinking about. Well, it was about February of the following year that Michael took his life by suicide. And um, we had a funeral service for him. And it was just the most amazing thing. We had people from his his former life who were there. We had people who were his church family who loved him so well for the last couple of years of his life. And, and people from both sides gave testimony to, to, you know, what a precious soul Michael was. And the folks on the church side of the equation could talk about the transformation they saw in him as, as he came alive in Jesus and began serving among us. And uh, Michael had even written a gospel tract about his 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 previous life and how he'd come back to faith in Christ. And, and we read his own testimony uh, there in the funeral service. It's an amazing thing. Folks from Michael's former life came up to me and said, thank you for loving Michael. And I said, well, of course. They said, we never expected to hear something like this in a Baptist church. So it was a wonderful celebration of Michael's life in spite of the way things had ended for him. We had a reception, you know, cake and punch, whatever you do in the church basement after that service. And and it was as things were kind of wrapping up, Michael's mother came to me and said, oh, I knew Michael was thinking about doing that. I said, you did? She said, oh, yeah. I, I told him, Michael, you just stop thinking about that. No good Christian would ever have those thoughts. you got to keep that to yourself. And I wanted to wring her neck. 
because here his own mother had become a mouthpiece for Satan, telling him, Michael, you're all alone. You can't tell anybody what's going on. You, you can't share that. What will people think of you? They, they'll think you're not a true Christian, Michael. That is a lie that Satan loves to tell us. You're all alone. You see, that's why you've got to know the truth so you won't fall for the lie. The truth is, you're not alone. Whatever's tempting you is just plain human, right? Here's a second lie that sets us up for failure when, it, when we face temptation. It's the one that says, you're too weak. You're too weak. You're all alone, and you're too weak. You know, you can handle a lot of things, Christian. You've got your act together in so many ways, but not in this area. This is the one temptation you know you can't say no to. You never have been able to, and you never will be able to. This is your Achilles heel, your weak spot. You don't have the willpower to resist this one, so just do it. Well, you get it over with. Just do it and be done with it. You're too weak. It's like that plate of chocolate chip cookies, you know, that calls out to me from the other end of the house. You know, hey, husky boy, you know, you know you can't resist us. You've never been able to resist. You've never met a cookie you didn't like, you know, and, and we're fresh out of the oven. Now get yourself over here and dive in. You're too weak. I don't know what temptation leaves you feeling weak. Maybe it's the voice that says, go on, drink it. Go on, scream at her. Go on, click here. Go on, dish that gossip. Go on, take it. Go on, you know you can't resist a bargain. You know you can't help yourself. You're too weak. Sometimes we fail to resist temptation so often that our identity begins to form around that temptation. And that's when you know Satan's really got you in his grip, you know. So instead of thinking of ourselves as followers of Jesus, you know, that should be our primary marker of identity, right? I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a son of the King of kings and Lord of lords. I belong to him, and, and nothing will ever take me out of his hand. That's how we need to be thinking about ourselves, who we are in Christ. And yet, sometimes we, we so often fail to resist temptation that our identity begins to form around our weaknesses instead. You know, I, I just can't resist a bargain. I guess I'm just a shopaholic. Or I guess I can't say no to a donut. I'm just a glutton. Or I like to drink a little too much. I guess I'm just a drunk. Or I, I guess I have a bad help or temper. I can't help it. I guess I'm just a hothead. Or I, I really can't resist dishing the, the dirt on people. I guess I'm just a gossip. Or I have such a strong sex drive. I guess I'm just a pervert. You know, as if to say, you'll just have to excuse the way I am because no matter how it hurts others and dishonors God, I've got my act together in so many other ways. But when it comes to this one thing, I'm just too weak. And so I don't even try to fight it anymore. I just give in to the temptation because I'm doomed I'm convinced I'm doomed to give in. And when we get to that point, we're right where the lion wants us to be, already on our way to becoming a juicy kill. And so to keep from becoming a victim, you've got to recognize when you're buying into the lie that says you're too weak. And then you've got to claim the truth that will enable you to overcome that temptation. And the, the truth is, here's the truth from God's word, 
you're too weak, but guess what? God is faithful. God is faithful. Maybe you are weak, but it says no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man, but God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Our greatest hope of fighting temptation is not in our own strength, but in the faithfulness of God who says, I won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. He's worthy of your confidence. And he says, I'm not going to let any temptation come into your life that you and the power of the Spirit of God can't handle. Do you remember the early chapters of Job? Remember the story of Job where Satan comes to God and God says, where have you been, Satan? He said, I've been roaming around the land just checking things out. He said, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him who loves me and respects me and serves me. He says, ah, let me get at Job and mess with him a little bit and he will curse you to your face, God. And God says, all right, you can mess with him, but you can only go this far and no farther. And Job withstands that test and Satan comes, ah, you know, you let me mess with these parts of his life but if you let me mess with these other parts of his life he will curse you to your his face and god says all right you can go this far but no farther god continually set limitations on how far satan could go in tempting job he was faithful to job not permitting him to be tempted beyond his ability and god's word says he'll do the same for us the bible says that Jesus knows how to help us with our weaknesses because he has experienced every temptation that any of us would ever experience. He was tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. If anyone knows how to help us handle temptation, it's him. God is faithful. and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Do you realize what this means? It means that when you start buying into the thinking that says you're too weak, you can't resist, I have to give in. You're in effect calling God a liar because he has said he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. Instead, if I'm experiencing this temptation, God must know I can handle it. And at that point, I have a legitimate choice. I can believe the lie and give in to it, or I can trust in God's faithfulness and ask him for the strength I need to resist. I preached this sermon in a church one time, and a guy came up to me, and he said, uh, man, I, I've always thought I've been alone. I didn't, I didn't realize there were other men in this church who might struggle with pornography like I do. He said, I haven't told anybody until now. My wife knows because she's caught me looking at it and she's hopping mad at me all the time. And you're telling me that there are other guys here who maybe have struggled with that, that there are people who can help? And I said, absolutely. And we got him hooked up with an elder in his church who walked with him through that process of of getting free from addiction to pornography. And I saw him some months later, and and this guy said, I never knew I could be set free from this. I always just thought I was too weak and I was doomed to give in to it. But God has set me free. God is faithful. Satan says, you're all alone. You can't let anyone know what's going on. But the truth is, what tempts you is just plain humid. Others have been tempted with the same thing they can help and satan says yeah but you're too weak you can't resist but the truth is yeah you're weak but guess what god is faithful and won't let you be tempted beyond your ability he not only sets limits on the temptation to ensure you won't be overwhelmed with them but he provides with what you need in christ to say no to them so you've got to know the truth so you don't fall for the lies
lies are, you're all alone. You're too weak. And then there's a third lie that Satan loves to tell us to finish us off after he's been tempting us a while. And that's the one that says, now you've gone too far. You've gone too far. You're all alone. You're too weak. And you've gone too far. You're trapped. There's no turning back. There's no stopping now. This is the suggestion that comes after we've kind of flirted with the temptation a while or have taken the first steps towards sin. You've gone too far to turn back now. Now there's nothing left but to give in. Yeah, the shopping cart is, is already full of stuff that you don't need and you can't afford, but you'd be foolish. You'd look really foolish putting it all back. You've gone too far. Or I've already eaten half of it. I, I might as well finish the rest off. Yeah, you giggle because some of you experienced that this morning. <laughs> or it, the voice says, we've already gone farther than we should. We might as well go all the way. Or I've already had a little too much to drink. I might as well go ahead and get really blasted. Or we've already said a few nasty things to each other. I might as well really let you have it now. Or I've already visited one website I shouldn't have been on. I might as well look at a few others. I've already shared a few of her secrets. I might as well dish the rest. You've already gone too far to turn back. You might as well go the rest of the way and enjoy the ride, no matter how much you'll regret it when it's through. That's the lie Satan loves to use to finish us off. And here's the truth that you need to counter that lie in order to overcome temptation. Satan says you've gone too far, but the truth is there's always a way out. There's always a way out. Look at the rest of the verse. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What tempts you is just plain human. You're not alone. God is faithful. He won't let the temptation, any temptation come your way that's beyond your ability. And when you find yourself feeling trapped, in the heat of temptation, you can be sure that God has already provided a way of escape, a way out. So take it so that in the end, you won't be taken down by the nasty old lion, but you'll stand. God always provides a way out. It's never too late to turn back. The word way out here or way of escape is a word in Greek, that speaks of a narrow mountain passageway. And in some Greek literature, it, it described an army that was surrounded up in the hills, and a much larger army was below. And it looked like that little army up there was doomed until a scout found the ekbasis, the way of escape. And, and, uh, and, and they secretly found their way out, took the way out in the middle of the night. So that when morning came, that army down below looked up and, and their adversaries were gone. They took the way of escape. Do you remember the story of Joseph and how Potiphar's wife was tempting him day in and day out? He was a handsome-looking young man, and she apparently was a lonely housewife, and she came to him every day and said, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. Now, you know, a red-blooded young man might have said, hey, the boss's wife uh, is making me do this. I have no choice but to give in. But not Joseph. He, he knew that he could not sin against his master, Potiphar, or against his God by doing this thing, and he wouldn't give in. Finally, it came the day when Potiphar's wife had Joseph all alone in the house, grabbed him by his cloak, 
And he ran, just ran, leaving his cloak in her hands. He took the way of escape. It was the only way out, but he took it. And you might say, well, it didn't turn out so well for him. He got thrown in prison because of that. And yeah, that's true. But you all know, also know how God used his imprisonment to elevate him to the second highest position in all of Egypt, thereby saving his, his own family from starvation. God says it's never too late. No matter how far you've already gone, there's always a way out. Leave that shopping cart and get yourself out of the store before you buy stuff you don't need and can't afford. Put the fork down before you take another bite. Get up off the couch. Tell her you're sorry. You let things get out of hand and go home. Call that friend and tell him to come and pick you up before you take another drink. Stop talking and ask for some time to cool off before you'll say anything else you regret. Turn off that computer and don't turn it back on until someone is in the room to hold you accountable for what you're looking at. Before you say anything else, say, look, I'm embarrassed. I shared those things about her. They were shared with me in confidence and I should never have told you. I hope you won't pass them on to anyone else. God will always make a way out, so take it. Turn back. Don't make things worse. Don't believe the lie that you've gone too far to stop. So if you've chosen to follow Jesus, recognize that commitment must be lived out day by day, moment by moment, choice by choice. Satan isn't going to tempt you to give up your commitment to Christ all at once. He's going to chip away at it. He'll get his claws into you a little at a time in hopes of one day bringing you down. And his lies are persuasive at the point of temptation. But being equipped with the truth is what will enable us to overcome. You've got to know the truth so you won't fall for lies. And so when in some small way you are tempted to deviate from your commitment to Christ, you can expect the tempter to say, you're all alone. You can't tell anyone. You've got to keep this to yourself. No one can help. And oh, you're too weak. This is the one thing you can't resist. And now you've gone too far. You've got no choice but to go ahead and, and, and enjoy the ride, no matter how much you'll regret it when it's done. When that moment comes and you start hearing those lies, recognize what's going on and remember the truth. Remember what God says. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word speaks so practically to us because we've, we've all been there. We've all heard these lies. We've all fallen for them. And so, Lord, I pray that you will... Take these words, this verse of Scripture, and, and instill it in our hearts and minds in such a way that we can draw on it over and over again at the point of temptation. We are so grateful, Lord, for your truth. And we're so grateful for your faithfulness, your faithfulness to us. You prove your goodness to us over and over again every single day. And we, Lord, want to live in the truth, in the freedom of who we are in Christ and not fall for Satan's lies. 
thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.